Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So usually this weekend is the first weekend of Advent. Advent means arrival. We're looking forward to the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a great season. And this particular year, as you heard, Christmas Eve is Sunday. So Advent begins next uh, weekend. So you have a little taste of some of the decorations, but if you've been around Goodwill Church long, you know, well, this is just that, a little taste. There's going to be a lot more starting next weekend, the first weekend of Advent. And here at 9 and 11, Martin Sanders will be back, Dr. Martin Sanders. So it'll be the second of his two uh, sermons with us next weekend. So that gave us this extra weekend, and that's where I came up with the Thanksgiving uh, hymns, the top three ever, according to me, only me, uh, Thanksgiving hymns and covering them and thinking about what they mean and deriving meaning from the scriptures associated with those hymns. And it's been a good time. And, you know, there is no kids' church today. You know that, right? You figured that out. That's fine. Just draw. Don't drive your parents crazy, you know. Um, it's, it's meant to be a shorter sermon, although when I thought about announcing that, I thought that'll be something that no one believes, you know, because you don't believe a preacher when he's defined short, you know. I mean, we have different ideas, don't we? Yeah, we definitely do. So the hymn today is We Gather Together, and there's all three verses right there. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens his will to make known. The wicked oppressing now cease from distressing, sing praises to his name who forgets not his own. Beside us to guide us, our God with us joining, ordaining, maintaining his kingdom divine. So from the beginning, the fight we were winning, the Lord is at our side, the glory be thine. We all do extol thee, thou leader triumphant, and pray that thou still our defender wilt be. Let the congregation escape tribulation. Thy name be ever praised. O Lord, make us free. Amen? Amen? Pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you, Lord. It is a song. It is a prayer set to music. It is our prayer. We do gather together today. And we gather together with all Christians everywhere, all over the world, in all kinds of nations and settings and contexts and cultures, all praising you, all leaning on you, all looking to your word for nourishment as we are today. Lord, we look to Psalm 67 today uh, to see what the hymnal is all about, what this, what this hymn is speaking of, what the lyrics refer to. You, you bring us together in yourself. So help us, Lord, to understand your word, to hear from you, Holy Spirit, and to be changed by this encounter with you and to bring glory to you through it all. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this hymn, at first, when you look it up in certain places, it'll say that we don't know who the author is. And sometimes 16th century Dutch is listed as the author. So it's uh, a little uncertain. In other places, they claim that this guy wrote it, Adrianus Valerius, and he wrote it in the 1600s. And 
Others say, well, he didn't write it. That's why we don't mention it. He took credit for writing it. So I guess there's a little controversy here with the hymn. It's pretty well known. It has a long history. You see, it was, it was King Philip II of Spain, and Spain was at war with the Netherlands. Spain oppressed the Netherlands, which means Catholics oppressed Protestants. And in fact, Protestant worship was forbidden, apparently, in some way, in some shape, some form for some amount of time. And so this song, yeah, I read in various places, was a response to that. Like, it was a response saying, you know, we're, we're, we've won this war now, and we get, to, we get to engage in worship as Protestants. And so, later on, some Catholics felt that the singing of this song oppressed them because it was against them. But still, the words of the song captured a lot of people's imaginations. So, Dutch immigrants to the United States... Dutch Reformed came over and brought the song with them, and it was included in a Methodist Episcopal hymnal, and so it started to gain popularity. By the way, we're not we're Reformed, but we're I, the the history of our church is Scottish Irish, so that's Presbyterian, and then the Dutch were Reformed. The theology is similar, but you got to be different, right? And you got to say, well, you know, one's better than the other, you know, in a, in a friendly way. So. So the Dutch brought this. We've sung it here. We've sung these words. Uh, in fact, what happened is that in America, we started to identify with this hymn. And so, especially during World War II, there's this line that says, uh, the wicked oppressing. Well, we pictured the Nazis. And so we we rallied around this song. And what's interesting is in the history of the song, it kind of comes full circle when Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis has this hymn included in her funeral mass. So you see that it, it's, it's kind of wrapped itself around all of us in one way or another, even if you don't know it or aren't that familiar with it. I bet some of you probably know the tune of it pretty well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot written about it, in terms of Valerius, this guy, uh, it was interesting reading these different hymn histories. I know you're not going to do it, but if you want, I'll tell you where to go and online, and you can read these different histories. But it says this about Valerius. Um, his historical significance lies neither in his poetry's artistic expression, which was stunted and often bare, Kind of harsh, right? <laughs> Nor in the originality of his work, which is often viewed as derivative. Rather, his compendium served as a mirror on his time and mores with, while a strong sense of Dutch nation and identity uh, permeated it. So you get the idea that this hymn had some national significance, so much so that in one commentary, it says that the militant language and patriotic association can lend a sense of nationalism to the song that is inappropriate for a worship service. And so the official blurb given by probably the best source for all this information, hymnary.org, it's him with A-R-Y.org. I see nobody writing it down. <laughs> Maybe at home, <laughs> writing it down. Hymnary.org. So here's the official blurb. This hymn was originally a Dutch patriotic song. 
written around 1600, to celebrate the freedom of the Netherlands from Spanish rule. However, God's kingdom transcends national and ethnic boundaries. When the church sings this hymn, she is reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The day will come when God will overthrow the devil and all evil. Even now we can say God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In singing this hymn, the people of God seek his help and thank him for his presence in the pursuit of victory over evil, for we know that God forgets not his own. Amen? All right, I know you're busting at the seams to sing this one, right? I got to sing this puppy. I want to sing it out loud. You ready? Uh, okay. All right. I'm going to call the worship team forward and we're going to sing. We gather together. The hymn words will be on the screen. It's hymn 790 if you carry a hymnal around with you. If you do, don't let anyone around you see it because I don't know what they'll think of you. But ready? So you, you, you got to stand to sing a hymn. You can't we don't sit and sing hymns, right? <laughs> ready? Here we go. together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens His will to make known the wicked oppressing now cease from distressing. Sing praises to His name He forgets not His own. Beside us to guide us our God with us Ordaining, maintaining His kingdom divine So from the beginning The fight we were winning Thou, Lord, wast at our side All glory be Thine We all do extol Thee Thou leader triumphant And pray that Thou still And all of God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. Not bad, right? Short. Probably your favorite Thanksgiving hymn now, right? Just for that reason, well, please be seated. Thank you, worship team. You can applaud. They had to work on it. <laughs> so in the hymnal, right below the title, is listed verse 1 of Psalm 67. And Psalm 67 is really associated with this hymn. And it's not about beating enemies or winning wars. It's about the upgrade of all that, you know, having no enemies and, and winning peace. And so right away we realize that in our generation, just like every generation, we have Christians in our world who seem to have forgotten or dismissed this. You know, the, the, some seem to believe that, uh, that peace is evil. The idea of wanting peace, that's evil. That's a new age. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's war or a warlike stance. That's what it is to be holy. You got to have that warlike stance. To be a believer for some is to be at war with all. You know, but in reality, God's plan is that we get along 
You know, peace is better than war. I know, and I, I wrote it up here, you know, that Christ says himself in Luke chapter 12 that he brings division. You know, to those who turn against him or his, they'll experience division, even in their families. He describes that in Luke chapter 12. However, this division, the conflict, the, the war, the strife, it's all like death, related to death really, and it's all in Christ temporary. And that's the thing to not forget. It's temporary. Uh, we're not to make fighting a Christian virtue. And in fact, uh, we're to thank God for, for peace. Wherever we had it, if we had it at our Thanksgiving table, we thank God for it. Amen? Some of you said amen. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Amen. It's a good thing. And when the Bible talks about peace, it doesn't just mean the cessation of noise or even the cessation of war. Though a word is used there in the Hebrew, shalom. Shalom means wholesome, uh, made whole. Uh, it's, it's a complete experience, uh, a cessation of all hostility, because it's not just uh, warfare that's hostile, but poverty, economic hardship, that's, that's hostile. Pestilence, disease, that's hostile too. So shalom, the idea of peace in the Bible, I mean, really our English word doesn't serve it well because we think of peace as a parent. You know, I think, uh, what I think I heard it more as a kid than I say, say it as a parent, but I remember as a kid having my parents say, I just want a little peace and quiet here. You know, I always thought yeah, you had to add quiet there so we knew what you meant by peace. And so that's what we think peace is. Like, it's just quiet. Well, no, it's way better than that. It's way deeper than that. It's the, it's the thing we all seek. You know, that, that sense of being well in every part of our lives. You know, healed, whole, put together, even though we've been broken apart. Undivided, to have an undivided mind, an undivided life, undivided character, undivided families and churches and organizations and neighborhoods and nations. Yeah, that's what we seek. That's, that's the good stuff. And so uh, Psalm 67 paints this picture, really. And again, it begins with a verse that is a verse in Scripture in the Old Testament Hebrew. So what I have there without a little dot by it, and you have in your Bible kind of as a sub you know, a little, little uh, note underneath Psalm 67. Uh, that's, that's in the Bible. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. So heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And so uh, we're, we're noticing this and noticing that God cares about where our songs come from and uh, the situations that we find ourselves in. And not just the people in the Bible, but we learn that God is the same, you know, yesterday, today, and forever. So he cares about your situation. He cares about the details of your life, the specifics of your life. And so if you feel distant from him in this regard, well, that feeling is not based on fact. That's, a, that's false. That's a lie. He's with you. He said he would be with you. If you believe in him at all, you're believing that he is with you in the details, in the mire, in, in the hard times, in, in the, the, the difficult times of your life. And he knows what you're going through. 
Sometimes in prayer, we're telling God what's going on. That's good for us because it's good for us to think about what's going on and to pray about that. However, it's also good to remember he already knows. Amen? He already knows. Yes. He already knows. So our, our verse one is this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Now that word is a musical notation, most likely. I've heard lately people say, no, it means to pause or something to that effect. It's probably a musical notation. Uh, everybody hit the drums at the same time when you hear Selah, or this is where the power chord comes in. That's how I like to think about it, right? You know what a power chord is? 70s, 80s rock, you know. What's your favorite power chord? I think mine, I didn't grow up with Christian music, so this is not in the Christian music genre, but it was the band called Sticks, and their song, Come Sail Away, and there'd be a long keyboard thing, and then, so that's, just picture that when you see Selah, you know? Remember the power chord? It's the whole reason you want to learn how to play guitar. You don't want to know anything else, just how to hit that power chord. Like, wouldn't that be cool? That's, that's your job, just to come up, hit the power chord, and hand the guitar to somebody who knows how to play it. You know, it'd be great. So that's a musical notation, but you see it throughout the Psalms reminding us that these were sung, that there was music, and we have no record of this music, and I find that interesting, and I wonder if the songs were any good. You know, do you wonder? I wonder if we get to heaven and we ask God, can we hear the original Psalms? He might be like, yeah, yeah you got, we got time for that. We got time. We got like forever, so we'll get to it. So I have no idea. I, you know, you have different theories on why we don't have more of an idea of what they sounded like. Because you can, you can go back in other cultures and you can go back in time and figure out what music sounded like. But with the Psalms, we just don't know. Maybe we'll discover someday what they sound like and it'll be interesting one way or another, right? So this is a familiar phrase, looking at verse 1 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. So that verse 3 is repeated in verse 5. So that's something like a chorus. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. When the Bible talks about all the peoples or the nations, lots of times it's either Gentiles being referred to indirectly or directly. And Gentiles would be everybody that's not Jewish. So there's this grouping in the Bible, Jews and Gentiles. That means everybody. Everybody. Jews and everybody else. And this reminds us of where our faith comes from and where Jesus comes from, and who we're indebted to nationally as Christians, as believers, Israel. And it turns out that this phrase, make his face shine upon us, references a very famous blessing in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24 and 26. It's called the Aaronic blessing, meaning referring to Aaron. And God told Moses to give these words to Aaron so Aaron would specifically bless his people, God's people, Israel. You've heard this blessing. Here's the ESV version of it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face 
to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, that means face, upon you and give you peace. So that's, this is very specific blessing, and it would be our blessing. It's a way we can bless each other, but we're also reminded of the blessing that Israel was and is to all of us. And this has a particular sting to it right now because we're watching the news every day, praying for what's going on in Israel as well as other parts of the world, and it hurts and sometimes we're not even sure why. Why is it so important to us what's going on in this country? Aren't all countries equally valuable? Yeah, they are, but this country has a unique history. We got Jesus from this country. We got the Bible from this country. Everything that means everything to us, we got from this land, from these people. Amen? And so we're praying for them, and we're with them, and we're praying for all the people because that's what the, the psalm is talking about. It's, it's, it's referring to this blessing, and then it refers to God's purpose for Israel in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So it was through Israel that God was going to reach all the rest of the world, that includes you and me, with his name, because his name means, Jesus means Savior. You know, we are uh, receiving what the psalmist is talking about. His name is still being made known on earth, and it's, it just can't be uh, overstated how important this is, how precious this is, how valuable this is for us. And in verse 3, you see God's vision for all the peoples. Doesn't use the word peace here. But you have to have that. You have to have the shalom peace too, not just the quiet peace, but the, the whole healing peace, the whole healing of individuals and organizations and relationships to have all the peoples come together. So you see, this is what God is after. And notice here as well that God is seeking praise from us, not victory. He's not seeking for us to go out and win something for him to do something great for him. We want to do that, and yet it can get pretty slippery because we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're great and that we are overly important. And that's not good for us, and it blinds us to his glory. Our purpose is to praise him. He's the one who does the great things. If there's peace anywhere, and anyone involved in any kind of war knows this, you know that that peace came about not because anyone in charge knew what they were doing. Well, you realize when you see war and warfare and all the warfares, right, the hostility of economic hardship, the hostility of pestilence, you realize that we need God because our greatest leaders are people just like us, and that's scary. Amen? Yes, it's scary. The people in charge are like you. What? You're in trouble. No, you're not because God is in charge of everything. Amen? Yes. Yes. So we praise him. He's the one who gets the victory. He's the one who does praiseworthy things. We, 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 we elbow him out of our lives sometimes. You know, we displace him. 
And, and this psalm encourages us to stop doing that. Let's elbow ourselves out. You know, let's displace the, the overly large role that we're playing in our own lives. You know, the, the, the swollen sense of importance and self-importance and how important we are and how important our opinions are. Let's reduce that and give God more, more of the room, more of the attention, and certainly all of the praise. Amen? So the psalmist continues, and this is the whole rest of the psalm. Let the nations be glad. That's Gentiles. That's all of us. All of us, the whole world. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Power chord. Selah. No, nobody's, nobody's with me on that. Okay. So we're not perfect. We're not, we don't have our acts together. We need to be judged and guided. We're still a mess without him. In him, we're glad. In him, we have a song of joy that we can sing. In him, we become all the peoples praising him. In him, we gather together. Outside of him, we don't. We do the very opposite, in fact. Let the peoples praise you. There it is repeated from verse 3. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So it's this great statement, this great song, this anthem of joy that we're reading here. In the end, it's all of us together in Christ, called in Christ, grateful for God's blessings. And you see the instincts, the spiritually informed instincts, I believe, of President George Washington and then President Abraham Lincoln saying, we got to have a day. we got to set aside some time. we got to work this into the national fabric where we are giving thanks to God. In fact, the, the, the full name of the day, according to Lincoln, is the day of thanksgiving and praise. A day of thanksgiving and praise to God. And it makes perfect sense as you look at it. And if you take a closer look, you realize that these were men who were weary because of war. Weary of war and conflict. They had violence and strife and heartbreak and tragedy carnage and inhumanity, they had seen their fair share of these things as leaders. They were leaders who knew that they needed someone else to be in charge. I love that. You love a leader, any kind of leader, starting with a family who knows I can't be in charge of this. The one in charge of me has to be in charge of this. Amen? Oh, there's such peace in that. Oh, the struggle just ends. And that's what Jesus is about. The struggle ending. Yes. So if you've been at war, if you've, if you've known war, you know that war wears us out. It's exhausting. It exhausts everything about us. And, uh, you know, maybe you feel like you're at war with people in your life or with others in the world. And some of our leaders, political or religious, they use war language all the time. And, and it's almost as if they make it seem like we're, we're almost 
unchristian or unpatriotic to want peace. But notice that even Jesus, when he talked about conflict, like in Luke chapter 12 that I mentioned earlier, he did so to teach us to not be surprised by it and to not be seduced by it. In Ephesians 6, we learn about spiritual warfare. Again, to prepare us. You ever seen one of those uh, children's costumes that has all the different elements of the spiritual armor? You got the belt, you got the shoes, you got the sword, you got the shield, you got the helmet, you know? And usually, I mean, for some kids, not a good idea to, to dress them in this way and equip them this way. Usually the, the sword is made out of foam, but still, they can do damage with that foam sword. You ever have a kid wacky with a foam sword? I have. No? You haven't? All right. So you, you see that, that, that dress, you know, and you picture that when you read Ephesians chapter 6 about the spiritual armor, and you realize... God is calling us to stand in the midst of this. That's what he says over and over again in that chapter. Stand. I want you to, to not buckle under during this time. He doesn't say to fight the battle. He doesn't say that we win the battle. It's a spiritual battle. And our role in it is to, in his strength, by his spirit, to stand. You know, with only the Word of God being the aggressive weapon. That's what Jesus did. He demonstrated that when he did warfare or did battle with Satan. In Matthew chapter 4, you can read about that. So, even here, you realize that it's, it's not about loving warfare. Like even, even a career in the military is, is best served by a love for peace rather than war. The best military warriors and strategists know the costs of war and the value of peace. And they do their best in war because of this. A warrior who loves war won't be very good at it. And maybe you just need a break from all of it. We all do. And even if you're in a foxhole with, with bullets like whizzing over your head, either literally or figuratively, you can get that break. You can get that break. Jesus offers you that break from war, a peace in the midst of conflict, not just quiet peace, whole person healing wholeness. You know, that, 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 that sense that all is well. You can have that in the midst of what looks like nothing being well because you know that all this conflict is temporary. And that, that, that faith that's been given to you by God. And so you're, you're, you're good in that situation. And you're reminded, our faith will do this. We'll be reminded by the Holy Spirit that the worst of our warfare, the real source of war, is our war that we fight with God. We're at war with God. That's why there's all this other war Warfare of every kind. We're at war with God. And that warfare with God, that's what Christ came to end. He, he came to finish and fight that battle, complete it. He, he set it from the cross. It is finished. That was our judgment day 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. It is finished. That's why verses like this mean so much to us. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So that's God saving us from the wrath of God. 
God interceding for us in our war with God, ending our war with God himself. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this explains the, the monumental verse at the beginning of that chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, the whole Bible is about peace. Because the whole Bible introduces us to the war that we began in Genesis chapter 3 with God. And Genesis chapter 4 reminds us that it's also with each other and, and with our circumstances, with everything. You ever have one of those days where you feel like everything's a struggle, everything's a fight? Well, of course, the Bible says that that's clear, that every one of us would have days like this. Sometimes day after day feels like this. God is speaking into that, into the strife, into the struggle, into the exhaustion, into the, the frustration, the, the cynicism and despair that are, that are birthed from all this. And he's saying, you know, have, have hope, have faith, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring peace. In fact, uh, he's really inviting us to either do one of two things, settle our war with God right now. Settle it. Forget about the people that you call your enemies. God is your enemy. That's the only enemy that, that matters. He's done something so that he doesn't have to be your enemy anymore. And he's called you not to be an enemy, but as Jesus said, a friend. Settle your war with God or be reminded that it is settled in Christ already and live accordingly. And have that peace in you, no matter what's going on circumstantially in your life. And then let that peace flow from you to the situations that you're involved in, to your family, where you work, where you go to school, your church, your neighborhood. In, in James chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So picture yourself as the we and we gather together. That's, that's, you're part of that. Picture yourself as one of the peoples and what it says in Psalm 67. Let all the peoples praise him. You're, you're one of those all the peoples. You're one of them. You're, you're with all the rest of all the peoples who are praising him. Amen? You're praising him and thanking him because he's the one who did it. And he's the one worthy of praise always. And know that this is all part of what God gave you when he gave you his one and only son. And it's, it's, and it's why we thank him. It's why we thank him and we'll be thanking him forever. Pray with me if you would. Thank you, Lord, so much for the peace that you sow in our hearts. There's nothing like it. There are things that compete with it. In our minds right now, you know, each of us has this little theater in our minds where there's all kinds of things that might be uh, moving around and, and distracting us. Lord, would you work in, in, 
each of us and in the midst of us and show us that whatever it is we're struggling with, whatever it is, whatever it is we're, that we're discouraged by or distracted by, that it, it is temporary. This too shall pass. And, and help us, even in the midst of urgent circumstances, to focus on you right now, Lord. It's okay. Well, you can bring those troubles to mind. We, whatever troubles we have, whatever worries we have, they're brought to mind. We're, here we are. We're thinking of them, each of us individually and all of us together. We can do this because we know that you are bigger than all of those problems put together, all of those troubles. All the problems and troubles of the globe, you're bigger than. Thank you for this. Lord, if anyone walked in here today or is listening online and is, is burdened, is, is, is wounded in some way, Lord, bring, bring healing. Bring a sense of wellness to that person. Bring peace. Be their peace. Be their shalom now. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. I invite you to rise. Let's thank him. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.